So chapter 7, we pick it up in verse 1. After this victory, it said, that, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout all the country. That was the previous verse of the previous chapter. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth Aven, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about 3,000 men went out from there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shabiram and struck down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people, that would be Israel, melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us all that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan? O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And then what will you do for your great name? It's a similar, Moses had these kind of conversations with the Lord previously, but this is Joshua's time. Joshua is the absolute leader. He's like a, he's a general, he's a king in a sense. He's, he's their leader. He's their clear, absolute leader, and he's a great leader. He's a God-fearing man. He believes all of God's word. He's seeking God on all things. He's led by the commander of the Lord's army. He wants to do what's right. He doesn't want to depart to the right or to the left. He is a great spirit-led leader of God at a critical juncture in human history for the nation of Israel to go in and lead them to their promises. And when you think about Joshua, something interesting about Joshua as you read this text that you might think of or might not think of, in military campaigns, Joshua has never tasted defeat. Like, he's always a winner. Because he always obeys the Lord. He's always had faith. He always sees with the eyes of faith. He obeys and he does the right thing so the blessings are upon him. He's the head, not the tail. He's the lender, not the borrower. He's everything that God said the people of Israel are supposed to be when they're obedient to the Lord. And that has been his life. And even in the death march for 38 years through the wilderness, Joshua, he wasn't, him and Caleb were the exception to anyone over 20. They were all condemned except those two because they were the spies that brought back the good report. Like, he's always been a winner. And as the commander of the armies under Moses, he defeated Amalek when Amalek attacked him early on, some 40 years before. And then the subsequent battles on the east side of the Jordan, he was victorious against Sihon and Og when the odds were astronomical on paper against them. He's like David taking on Goliath before David ever took on Goliath. He has absolute faith and conviction in the promises of God So you can imagine how stunning this defeat would have been to him, especially after such a great victory, after such a great victory at Jericho, the supernatural, the miraculous, he would have no idea that there was sin in the camp. He would have no idea that they're under God's wrath and chastening because the accursed thing was in the camp. He would have no idea. He just didn't know. And so you can imagine how stunned he was and how shocked he was 
to experience defeat like this for the first time. And the emotion of defeat and to be the leader. It's one thing if you're defeated and everyone looks to Moses, right? Like if something goes wrong in the church, you're really happy that the senior pastor's there because they're, you know, you can look to the senior pastor here, me, or back in the day, Pastor Chuck, or whatever. You, you look, you know, you look to the senior pastor to provide stability. And often when things are going difficult for our church, people look at the senior pastor to see how they're going to handle this. Like, look what we went through with COVID, indoor, outdoor, stand on your head, juggle the balls, whatever. Like, you know, people were looking at the leaders of every single church to see how the pastors would handle these things and respond to the various things that we had to respond to and, and try and keep our wits and maintain character, personal character and conviction to the word of God being the final authority over the church of Jesus Christ. But this was, this was a feeling of defeat, like being defeated and not even knowing why. So as we think about this in application, it's, it, we have to pause on it just for a minute because we don't, we've, we've seen Joshua, we've been with Joshua for a couple of years starting from like numbers on fourth in Leviticus, like Joshua's there and it's like, he's never lost. He's never been defeated. And you can tell a lot about an individual and how they handle major defeat. Like if you've never been fired and you got fired, justly or unjustly, like, wow, how are you gonna handle that? You always get what you want and you thought you were getting into this college and you did not get into this college. You thought, you know, you've never had anyone tell you no, and she said no. She's not interested in going out with you, or he's not interested in going out with you. Like, you don't always win. And, and when, 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 he, when we, as human beings, are used to being successful and it always goes our way, because, you know, some people, it seems like it always does go their way. You ever notice that? Like, some people just seem like it always just goes their way. That's why we like underdogs more than super champions. We like to see super champions lose, and we prefer underdogs. Because we're more underdogs than super champions. And so it's stunning to see Joshua feel this defeated. They're defeated. Well, they were doomed. <laughs> they were doomed. They're under the wrath of God because they took the accursed thing. This is the thing about God's wrath, by the way, that God's wrath is displayed with, G- with what he did to his son on the cross for our sins. So the, the wrath of God is revealed in the judgment of our sins upon Christ on the cross, that the Father forsook him. That's God's wrath against sin. And when we give our life to Christ, we come under Christ and his atoning blood and his righteousness, and we pass from death to life, from Adam to Christ, and we're no longer under the wrath of God because we come under Christ who took that wrath. But the whole rest of the world is under the wrath of God. Everyone not under Christ and saved by grace, they're doomed. We're, already, we're born under wrath, and we're doomed from the offset and they're under the wrath of God. So the whole world out here are going nuts in our timeline. They're under God's wrath. They're, and again, we talk about Romans chapter 1. The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodly men who suppress the truth and ungodliness. And that's what they do. And the Bible tells us in the last days that deception is the number one element that testifies of the last days. Jesus, teaching every time on his return, said, do not be deceived. It's the number one thing. The apostolic writings affirm to us that there'll be a great deception in the last days. And we see in the book of Revelation during the great tribulation period, however one would define it in their end time interpretations of Revelation, however you would define it, the entire planet refuses to repent of their sins and their hearts are given over. Just a great delusional deception. 
And here we find, and this is what you find even for this planet right now, if we are under Christ and we're abiding in Christ, there is a place of blessing there. But if we're a part of the accursed thing and we're under the world, there, Jesus talks about the branches being dried up and cut off. Like whatever that means theologically, I'm not totally sure, but I just know I don't want to be a cut off branch and dried up. I want to be abiding in the vine and bearing much fruit, which you do too on a Tuesday night, gather here tonight. So it's hard to see God's people who have been fruitful and blessed, and particularly a leader like Joshua, who's never, never lost to see this happen. And I suppose we can all relate to it, that sometimes in life we don't understand why we just lost this thing. It's just like, why did we lose the contract on that bid? Why did this happen this way? Like, our offer on the house was so much better than our offer. Like, there's so many things that happen in life where you just go like, I did the right things. Like, I did everything for this person and they still left me or whatever. Like, you, you just sometimes just like, sometimes it just goes that way. Now, again, they were doomed because of sin in the camp. And sometimes it affects churches this way, business this way, and families this way, but sometimes it just happens that way. We, we learn a lot about ourselves and how we handle disappointment and setback. And we learn a lot about Joshua here in he was not self-confident in a good way. I mean, in other words, it's a good way that he wasn't self-confident. He was Christ-confident. He was confident in the Lord. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's how Joshua was. The moment he thought for even a minute that God wasn't with him, he knew they were doomed. Like, if we can't defeat AI, we're, we're, we've got no chance at all. He knew it was always about the Lord's blessings, the Lord's provision, the Lord's power. And they were doomed here. And he didn't know why. So I think when we think about application of our lives, when things just seem to go against us or suddenly like we're used to winning and we start losing, that's going to reveal a lot about us, how we handle. I often said as a coach that losing reveals much more than winning, and you learn more from losing than you do winning. You don't have to learn. If you're winning, you don't have to learn anything. I won. I'm the winner. Ichiban, number one in Japanese, right? Like I don't, you don't need to teach me anything. I'm the winner. But if you're losing, you learn more from losing. And there's a powerful lesson for all of us in this loss, there was sin in the camp. And even though it wasn't Joshua's sin, it affected Joshua. And it works that way sometimes in a marriage, in a family, in a church, in a business, even in a country. If there is profound sin allowed and the people choose to put themselves under God's wrath by default, and move toward the things that he's opposed to, as in contrast to moving toward the things he's in favor of, then we might, all, we might just be like Joshua. We're innocently affected by people taking the accursed things and doing accursed things, and it affects all of us. And even though we're not going to give an account for accursed things that people do in this country and have done in our timeline, doesn't mean we're not affected by accursed things. And governments support accursed things. But we can't feel like God's abandoned us or somehow we should have stayed over here on the other side of the river. We need to go forward triumphantly in whatever God has for us. And Jesus didn't die on the cross to leave us doomed in despair, defeated, and distraught. And he didn't bring Joshua this far to let him just be completely steamrolled and quit after the first loss in his illustrious life of being a leader for the people of God. So the Lord said to Joshua, verse 10, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned. 
and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies, because they've become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to the families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come by households, and the households by which the Lord shall take shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of the Zarahites, and he brought the family of the Zarahites, man by man, Zabdi was taken. And then he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Joshua, was taken. Now Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him. And tell me now what you've done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed, I've sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I've done. When I saw among the spoils, that would be in Jericho, a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent, with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor, which means literally the valley of trouble. And Joshua said to them, verse 25, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they'd stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day, the Valley of Trouble. Well, there's one of those stories that you get in the Bible where you go like, why? Like, it's just so far-reaching. But we all know sin affects, sin affects us. My parents' sin affected me. My sins affect my kids. Sin affects other people. Your sin does affect us. Even though David said against you, O Lord, and you only have I sinned, which is true, because sin is an offense to God. It's, we sin against God. But sin affects other people. Sometimes it costs them their lives. Think of all the drunk drivers every day that kill people because they were drunk and they take innocent life. And their lives are never the same and how it affects their parents, their siblings, their children, their spouses. Like, sin affects us. So when, when someone at work steals stuff and, it's, and then it comes to light and then your family's disgrace and you were so proud of your parents because they did this and that and then this happens or your spouse and he's, he's a crook, she's a crook and then you're, it's a great fall. And sin affects, sin affects people, not just us. And in this case with Aiken, we know that about 36 innocent people died in combat. 36 innocent dads, brothers, husbands, and sons, after the great joy of the victory of Jericho, went out 
on a military campaign in obedience to the Lord and his word and his great commission to them to fight the battle of Ai, and they were defeated, and 36 of these men died in combat because of the sin of Achan. Because of one man's sin, 36 soldiers died in a military campaign because not just in the incompetence of superiors in military rank, but because of sin in the camp. And therefore, the justice on Achan's family, so his sin cost grief and sorrow for 36 families and their extended families. Think like when you have a plane wreck, how you know, all the families are affected in mourning or like a mass shooting or something like that. You have these things where innocent people die because of someone's sin and negligence. It's a great tragedy, and it's so far reaching the grief. Most of, the, most of us have lived long enough to know that the death of the innocent can be a grief that some people never, ever recover from. That's what happened here. And then now it's revealed what's behind it and who is responsible. This defeat is 100% upon Achan. He had a responsibility, as all Israel did in this agreement of the Battle of Jericho, to not take the cursed thing. So what did he do that brought about the death of 36 innocent men and tragedy to their families, as well as the death of dying by his wife and with his children and all of his wealth and the wealth that he took that belonged to the Lord, in a sense, the accursed things. What did he do? He saw, he coveted, and he took it. He saw, he coveted, and he took it. Now, we just covered this in the Sermon on the Mount that it's like David with Bathsheba. He saw, he coveted, and he took. So we know that we're to take every thought captive and obedient to Christ. And that's what we want to do. We can't help what we see sometimes. And it's not a sin to be tempted. And we know we're tempted by three things. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. We're going to be tempted. We're, prayed, we're told to pray by Jesus that we will not be given over to temptation. We're, we're tempted. We're fallen human beings. We have a sinful nature. We know the devil departs until an opportune time to tempt us. You, you, might, you might have been delivered from things so long in your past that you think you could never fall there before, but we're told in 1 Corinthians, if anyone thinks they stand, take heed lest they fall. Because we're, we're, we're puffed up. We, we're always dependent upon the Lord. We're meant to be completely, totally dependent upon the Lord every single day of our life for provision, protection, and good decision-making in personal choice with temptation. And we saw in Deuteronomy where God said, oh, that my people would consider the latter end. And the latter end is a restraint against the current temptation. If you have a current temptation and you can consider the latter end, it'll restrain you. But unfortunately, as we know, when the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life are going mock level with everything going against us, we often just completely check out common sense and do extremely foolish things and falling into sin. And our lives can forever be changed with a bad decision at a vulnerable time. With the unholy trinity of our flesh, the world system, and the devil tempting us, with the lust of the eyes of pride of life and the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, it can happen. 
And if only Achan could have foreseen and looked ahead to what this would cost him. When he saw the Babylonian garment, if he could have seen his daughter dying right next to him, being pelted with rocks in a just judgment. If he could have seen the heartbreak on the faces of the people, the wives that were widowed by his sin, who were left behind without their husbands. They had dreams of going to the promised land. They talked about it for 20 years in the wilderness while they're growing up in love as teenagers. They got married in the wilderness. They're in their 40s and they're going to go into the promised land and inherit everything. And this guy's sin cost your husband's life in the battle of Ai. And now you're going to the promised land as a widow and your dream of inheriting land is completely different because of what this guy did and how it affected your life. And now you're a widow with two kids that are orphans because this man took the Babylonian garment, the silver and the gold, and hid it. He saw, he saw it, he coveted it, and he took it. And when he took it, his sin cost you your future dream. So as hard as it is to see Achan dying with his family, that's a just judgment. And isn't it true that our sins affect our children? I mean, it's there in the Bible the whole way. The sins of the children, the sins of the fathers always show up in the children, from Abraham on, from Adam on. That's the way it works. So we got to break that sin cycle. You can talk about curses, the curse those who hate me, to the third and fourth generation, but we know once you accept the Lord and you receive his love, all curses are broken, but we, now we got to let God work. And so the sins state that, that if... If Achan could have considered the latter end, if he could just, like, what good was that gold and silver buried under his tent? He had some future idea of investment or what it would, wealth it would get him. And, you know, all those years in the wilderness eating manna, just, he, he, had, this, he had this plan and this scheme of what he was going to do with this wealth. But he disobeyed the Lord. And in so doing, he not only brought doom upon himself, his marriage and his children, 36 other innocent families. We need to consider the latter end, and we're reminded of that. We're reminded of that our decisions are far-reaching, and we need to make good decisions and very much consider the latter end of our decisions. The valley of trouble, because where he was buried in the valley of trouble was a consequence of his rebellion to God, its effect on his marriage and his children, and the entire society of Israel. We want to be the mountain of blessing, not the valley of trouble. We want to be the mountain of blessing, not the valley of trouble. So yet again, we're reminded in the story of Achan to consider the latter end, to consider the consequences of our actions, and to let God work in our life, lest we embrace the accursed thing and put ourselves under the chastening, or even worse, the full wrath of God. Now we pick it up in chapter 8. We read on. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as a booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. So Joshua rose and the people of war to go up against Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. And he commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in an ambush against the city behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and it will come about when they come out against us, as at the first, that we shall flee before them, for they will come out after us till we've drawn them from the city, for they will say they are fleeing from before us as the first. 
Therefore, we will flee before them. Then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand, and it will be when you have taken the city that you shall set the city on fire. According to the commandment of the Lord, you shall do. See, I have commanded you. Well, here's the reset and the redo. I love how the Lord always, we find this in the Bible and we find this in life experience. Where we have had failures, the Lord almost always gives us a rematch with that failure. Where we've had a moral failure or a character failure, he'll give us a chance to face that and have a rematch, a reboot or a reload with that. And I'm grateful for that. Now, we're told that with any temptation, the Lord will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able, but with the temptation, we'll provide a way of escape. That's a wonderful promise. So any rematch that we get, they'll be like, wow, I can't. It's like if it's sports, like, oh, wow, we've got a road game at Alabama or something in football, right? Like some, like who, who you know, it, it can see so, seem so overwhelming, like in sports, when you're the underdog in a big road game, and like, and you've been destroyed by this opponent before in sports or something, but it's not like that with the Lord. With the Lord, it's, a, it's, it's, the, it's the Lord's battle. Like the Lord said, do not be afraid. Uh, take, go, rise. See, I've given into your hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. The battle is the Lord's. So any rematch of previous failures is a chance for the Lord to show himself strong on our behalf and to show our faith confident and trusting in him to his glory and to our benefit. That's, that's what it's there for. Where there's been, and where there's been failed Failure in the past with the Lord, because that's the context. Now, it wasn't Joshua's failure, but it affected everybody. There's a reload. And the Lord gives us, of course, he's the God of second chances. We always talk about how Peter denied the Lord three times, and then Jesus asked him if he loved him, and he gave Peter a chance to say, yes, I love you, three times. And where Peter was so afraid of the Sanhedrin council when they were coming against Jesus, and condemning him, Peter stood before the same people filled with the Holy Spirit after the day of Pentecost, and he just threw it down and said, we're going to obey God, not man. So you figure out what you think you need to do, but let us tell you, we're going to keep on preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and lifting up the name of Jesus. The man who was so afraid that servant girls brought him to shame and the rooster crowed twice, that same man stood right before the most powerful government he ever knew in his lifetime and said, you do whatever you think you need to do. But we're the church. And we're going to keep on preaching Jesus Christ. That's what, that's, but what's it say in that passage in Acts? That Peter and John being what? Filled with the Spirit. And what did the Sanhedrin council like, man, these guys, weren't these guys with Jesus? These guys were with Jesus. Like, yeah, they were and they are with Jesus. He's never going to leave us nor forsake us. Like, they were with Jesus, they are with Jesus, and they're going to be with Jesus, just like all of us in this room in 2021. So in past failures, you got to put it behind you and just keep going forward, and you can't live in fear, because I find with my failures, I live in fear like, oh, I'm going I'm to be foolish again in that manner or whatever, and you can't live like that. You can't live in fear of past failures. You just have to live in confidence of faith going forward with the Lord and know when those situations arise again that he's going to give you the grace and wisdom and the power of the Spirit to face them properly. So praise the Lord for the rematch and the reload. Also, we see here another another application 
is that, you know, the Battle of Jericho was fought six days, one time, seven days, seven times. Nobody says anything, blow the trumpet. That was the battle plan. City number two, AI, what's the battle plan? It's not walking in circles in silence and blowing a trumpet. It's a whole different battle plan. It's you guys lay here in the ambush, you go forward, pull them out, and then it's going to go this way. A completely different battle plan. And this is also an important application to remind us that the way God worked yesterday is not necessarily the way he's going to work today. In the sense that he's going to be always consistent with his character. God's not going to do something out of his character and his moral standing and who he is. God is light and him is no darkness at all. And with the father of light, there's no shadow of turning. So he's not going to be opposed to something that's sinful and then call it acceptable a century later. That's not going to happen. That's what men and women do. But God doesn't do that. But he will show variation. In other words, we're meant to be, he doesn't, well, in the book of Jeremiah, God talked about broken cisterns, that the people were trusting in broken cisterns. It's like a, like a water tank, how they stored water. They were trusting in stagnant water. And in Jeremiah, God says, you didn't look to me, the living water. They were trusting in a stagnant past as opposed to abiding in a present fluidity of the present sense. And Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to us, what we have needs of. Sufficient is the trouble for today. And even the Lord's Prayer, he said, give us this, your kingdom your come, your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. In teaching on prayer, he clearly teaches a daily dependency and how he provided for a meal today might be different how he provides for a meal tomorrow. What the work he called you to do in 2021 may not be the work he's calling you to do in 2022. The lessons he's teaching you when you have a great job, may, you know, those are lessons then, but there might be lessons he's teaching you when you don't have a job at all. Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a time and purpose for everything under heaven. And there's the life experiences, and they're all teaching us things and God's never going to leave us or forsake us as we abide in Christ and we belong to him as his children, but there's fluidity. Things, things are never the same. Things are fluid with the Lord. They're not the same in a timeline. They're not the same in a generation. We can trust in his faithfulness from the past, but we got to know there's new lessons of faith in the future, and there might just be the battle of Ai is not the battle of Jericho. And the battle of Jericho was an unknown with a full route, having never known victory or defeat. The battle, the first battle of Ai, was a defeat based upon the known that you'd won. I mean, on the east side of the Jordan, they were 2-0 against Sihon and Og. But on this side of the Jordan River, going into the Promised Land, they had not experienced victory. So after Jericho, victory. Wow, that's crazy. We walk in circles, we praise the Lord, it all comes down. Like, I like this game plan. Let's draw it up again for next week's competition, right? This plan executed accomplishes victory. Not at all. Forget that. Wipe the chalkboard. This plan, you got out, you got defeated, you took the, the cursed thing was in your camp, we've done with that, so now you even have to have a rematch on the second battle, and it's a different battle plan. So, listen carefully. The summer of 2021 is not the same as the summer of 2020, right? It's still as weird as all can get go. Even weirder than 2020, and probably more diabolical and sinister, to be honest. So I'm not measuring my decisions in 2021 of August of 2021. August of 2020, we're outside in that courtyard, remember? If you were here, we're outside. We're in here. 
We're teaching Joshua, not Leviticus. We're just, it doesn't, it's, we're not stagnant. Relationship with the living God is not stagnant. And the plans for your personal life, your marriage, my life, our lives, this church, the Calvary Chapel movement, the body of Christ in America and planet Earth, it's not stagnant. The body of Christ all over the world is always going through changes. And we, we have to depend upon the Lord. In leadership of churches, we have to depend upon the Lord in our, our marriages, in our homes. For wisdom, we need to seek wisdom, James chapter 1, without being double-minded and obey the wisdom of the revelation he gives us and act upon it and obey it and not double-clutch. And we can be confident from the victory of Jericho, but we should not put ourselves in a box and limit God's doings to Jericho. We take confidence from that, but how he wants to take AI is how he wants to take AI. And David understood this because even in David's life, when he fought battles uh, early on, they defeated the Philistines a certain way, and he asked the Lord in the second rematch with the Philistines, do we do this? And he goes, no, 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 you do this. Go by the mulberry trees, and all this will play out this way. David understood that every, every day has its own challenges and victories, and dep- but it's always the dependency on the Lord and letting the Lord guide ourselves. So a man or a woman can plan their ways, but the steps of a righteous man or a righteous woman are orchestrated by the Lord. It's fluid. Ours is a fluid faith. We're not robotically living out some dry orthodoxy, an archaic human religious system from bygone centuries. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We have tongues of fire over our head. We are called to live for Christ in every generation, to look to him, to trust to him, and be faithful to him, and be fluid in his leading on our personal lives. That's never going to change. So all this other stuff, which is other stuff, we're, we're just keep coming here on Tuesdays and Saturdays. Men, women, women, men, you know, like food and fellowship, communion night, we're just... But in our personal lives, things are changing. And let God guide us through those things. Because I mentioned the other night, as adopted children in the kingdom, he's preparing us for eternity. All of our things work together for good. Our victories and our defeats when we abide in, when we have faith and we look to Jesus. The world can't say that. And truth is always truth. Jesus is always the truth. His word is always true. We're never going to go wrong. He doesn't move his, 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 the goalpost doesn't move with Jesus. The cross is front and center. The kingdom's right above it. Men kind of, yeah, you, you line up for the field goal and they're moving the, 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 they're changing the field of play all the time right now. And Jesus, the cross is front and center and it's over the entire universe. And the king's coming. All eyes on Jesus. But stay fluid and flexible. To quote that classic Calvary distinctive, Pastor Chuck, blessed are the flexible, they shall not be broken. Right. So, flex. <laughs> Verse 9. Joshua therefore sent them out, and they went to lie in ambush and stayed between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. Then Joshua rose up early in the morning. You notice he's waking up early in the morning a lot. He's a good morning person. Joshua rose up early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. 
And all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near, and they came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now a valley lay between them and Ai, so he took about 5,000 men, set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people and all the army that was on the north side of the city and its rear guard on the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. Now it happened when the king of Ai saw that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle, he and all his people at an appointed place before the plain, but he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city, and Joshua and all the people made as if they were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city, and there was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. So they left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. So those in ambush arose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he stretched out his hand, and they entered the city and took it, and hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. So they had no power to flee this way or that way, and the people who had fled in the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. Now when Joshua and all Israel saw the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai, and then all the others came out of the city against them. So they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on this side, some on that side, and they were struck down, so they let none of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness, where they pursued them, when they had fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. So it was who all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. And reminder, they were completely under God's wrath and his doom as decreed by the Lord back in the previous books of Moses. And we know why. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as booty for themselves, according to the word of the Lord, which he commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening, and as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the body, excuse me, take down his corpse down from the tree, cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city, and raise over it a great heap of stones that remain to this day. The people of Ai, of course, like all the Canaanites, were completely evil, wicked, degenerate, given over depraved people under the wrath of God. And Israel, in the unique situation of this generation, was called to execute God's wrath upon them. We've mentioned this before. The church never has that place, but they did. And I can only imagine how difficult this would have been. But to obey is better than the sacrifice. And Saul failed to do something similar with the Agag, the Malachite king, and it cost him his calling as a king. We must obey even the most difficult things. And we have to strike down what God says strike down in the most difficult things. And fortunately, he'll never call us to strike down the inhabitants of, of Canaan, but He will call us to strike down things sometimes that really are hard to do, that we are called to strike down. And in this case, what had to be struck down was the very thing that would destroy them. So it was destroy this or it'll destroy you, right? Remember that with Israel and these tribes. So that's the battle. That's how it went. They executed the plan, total obedience to the plan. Joshua had complete total obedience, did exactly what God called them to do, and they were victorious. And they were back going in the right direction. That heap of stones would have been a reminder for future generations, not only of God's victory, but it was also the place of the people of God's defeat, right? Because that city of Ai is going to always be a remembrance that the people were defeated because of the accursed thing, and then when they got things right, they had victory. 
And so that C would represent both those things. You talk about the memorial stones of the 12 tribes from the Jordan River. We saw that. This heap is a reminder. And how about the Valley of Achor and the reminder there where Achan was buried? That's a reminder too. Now, last but not least, we finish up tonight with verse 30 through 35. We read this. Now, Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel on Mount Ebal, as Moses, servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man had wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel with their elders and the officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the strangers as well as those who were born among them. Half of them were from, half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. That, of course, is in the book of Deuteronomy. Verse 34. And afterward, he, Joshua, read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursing, the cursings according to all that is written in the book of the law, of the, law the, the law of Moses. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the sons of Israel, with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. This is a pretty special passage of Scripture when you think about it. So they've had total victory at Joshua, excuse me, total victory at Jericho, defeat and victory at Ai. They had to deal with everything with Achan, Think what, think what Joshua's been through in all this. This incredible victory at Jericho. This startling and stunning defeat at Ai. Then going back to Ai, getting it right, the victory, all that he had to do that was challenging to do, but he did it faithfully and obediently to the Lord. And then we get this, like, this time out. Suddenly, in the midst of... They saw, there's so much more to do. There's so much... There's so many more battles in front of them, but they stop. They stop and they build an altar to the Lord. If we're always focused on the next battle, we may never stop and build altars to the Lord. If we're always so concerned over what's coming tomorrow, we may never appreciate the blessings of today. If we have anxiety about tomorrow, we may not be willing to say thank you for today. It's really important to stop the noise to stop everything and build that altar, to go back to establish the place of worship, to make time for the place of worship. There's, I mean, if you're like me, your day planner always has stuff in it. There's always stuff from the monthly day planning around the corner, the wedding, the birthday party, the, the, the pool baptisms, the food and fellowship in September, Thanksgiving, the Christmas service moved forward to Thursdays in December. There's always stuff in the future that you can think about and plan for and prepare for and even fret over and worry about. There's always another battle. That's all we have to live in today. And that's why it's so important that even in the busyness and the craziness of the daily demands that we can stop and build those altars, that we can stop and give worship and praise to the Lord for his goodness for us today, for the victories, for our defeats, for our rematches, for his faithfulness to us, for his strength to obey in difficult things and be blessed for it, to stop the noise and build the altar. And not only that, in this case, 
leading others to do the same. It's like a national day of prayer, like all businesses shut down. Like if you could do that anymore as a country, or you just let's all stop, seek the Lord. And then he read the word of God. He read the law from start to finish. When this journey began, and we're only on chapter 8, but in chapter 1, God said, don't depart to the right or to the left. Meditate on this law day and night. This is your guidelines. And what does he do here? After a great victory, a defeat and a victory, all that they faced so far, he builds the altar of worship, reminds people of Israel, they're not Canaanites. They don't live like Canaanites. They don't worship like Canaanites. They're the people of covenant. They serve the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, the God of Mount Sinai. They have the law. They, they, they have it. They have the promises of the Messiah to come through them to save the world. They have it. And so they read the law. They read the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And what is Joshua doing here? He's, he's building his faith just by reading the word of God. And he's building the faith of the people just by reading the word of God. And look who's listening to it. All the assembly, the women, and the little ones. It's like VBS. It's like here. And the stranger. The stranger. Like, it's everybody. Come, come, come. Come. Shalom, shalom, shalom. Come. And there goes the word of God. When I was on staff at Calvary Costa Mesa, and Pastor Chuck was teaching at that time. I really enjoyed the Sunday night services when he would teach two to three chapters through the Bible. I really enjoyed that. And I can't, I, this is what would happen for me because he would always teach a Sunday morning sermon from that passage. So it'd be like a topical message. They're very similar, all three services, about 35 minutes long, really clean, tight, solid. He never got lost. He didn't take rabbit trails like I do, like, you know, and then I come back, right? He didn't do that. Everyone's like, oh, and all, you know, and he'd lean like this. And he might take a little teeny step this way, but he wouldn't go down a path like I do. But the Sunday night services, he would just read that Bible. He'd read the Bible. He'd read through the Bible, verse by verse. Sometimes three chapters or more. And I would sit there, and he would give some application, but it was almost like he was just reading the Bible publicly. As much as anything else, he was just reading the Bible. And I would see people walk out like, where are you going? Why are you leaving? Because I would sit there, and as he just read the scriptures without even giving application, God would be strengthening my faith. And I'd be thinking about family and, and this thing and that thing. And just reading the scriptures out loud and hearing the word of God, it would strengthen my faith. And that's what I want to do for you when you come out on Tuesday night and you hear two chapters of the Bible read. I want to strengthen your faith. I want you to be strengthened for all you're facing in your personal life for this church and this journey that humanity's on right now in 2021. Because this, this will transcend everything that's chaotic and insane outside these doors. This is trans-dimensional. Praise the Lord.